Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church, an outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. As we continue in our study of the book of Acts, we are in Acts chapter 9. And we were just looking how Saul, who had become who had become Paul the Apostle, we were seeing his conversion when he met with Jesus, had an encounter with the glory of God. What is the glory of God? It's the manifested awesomeness of the Almighty. God wants us to have encounters with him. He wants you to have an encounter with him today. Now, Saul... In his encounter with the Lord and experiencing the glory of God, it just caused him to fall to the ground. The power of God hit him and he just fell to the ground and he had a vision and the Lord Jesus spoke to him in that vision and he was converted. He became a believer in the Lord Jesus. And you know, you might not have an extreme experience like that with God. Some have. And we can expect to because we got an extreme God. We got a God of glory, a God of power, a God of might, and he'll show up and do amazing things. I mean, you can get knocked to the floor today. Right? Have we ever seen people get knocked to the floor in this place? People have gotten knocked to the floor in this place because he's the God that will just overwhelm you. He will overwhelm. Whelm you. I like what the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 18. It says, and do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled. Literally, it means be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't be drunk. Don't be intoxicated. Don't be overcome with these things, but be filled with the Holy Spirit or be intoxicated. Be overcome with the Holy Spirit. So God wants us to be overcome by him. He wants us to go through life intoxicated. You might call it comfortably numb. You know, you just go through life just just comfortably numb. Praise God. And just dumb to a lot of stuff because you're not worried about a lot of stuff. You just trust God with your life. You're not all trying to figure everything out and just, you know, like I said, worried about everything. God's got you. God's, God's got you. God knows. We know two things. God knows and God cares. God knows. He knows what I have need of. He knows where I'm at. He knows what's, what's up ahead, and he cares. He cares enough to help me, walk me through it. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So Saul had this overwhelming experience. Overwhelming experiences still happen to God's people today. Sometimes it's outward, and others can see it. And sometimes it's inward. People just get overwhelmed on the inside. You know, God speaks a word to them. God, how many people know the new birth is, is an overwhelming, incredible, supernatural experience? Yeah, but you know, a lot of people around you, when you got born again, they didn't know it. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't see anything happen, but you knew something happened. You knew something. You knew you got radically changed on the inside. So God still wants to change you today. He wants to transform you. By his word through the Holy Spirit. So expect that today. And so here's Saul. He had this vision. Jesus was revealed to him. And then a believer named Ananias had a vision of the Lord. And the Lord told him to go to Paul or Saul at the time. 
and lay hands on him that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Ananias was just a layman in the church. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't an evangelist. He wasn't a pastor. Just a, just a fellow believer. And the Lord Jesus said, now you go and you lay hands on him that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. We pick it up here, Acts chapter 9, verse 17. It says, and Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So here, now this is after, now Jesus appeared to Paul, Saul, in a vision. The power of God was so strong in his life, it knocked him to the floor. And yet, God still sent someone else to go in, and lay hands on Saul that he might receive more from the Lord. You know, there's some things God does directly to you. And then there's some things he does through other people for you and to you. And we have to understand that's how, that's how he works. He just doesn't do it all in the vision. He'll get you around other believers. He'll send people into your life who he will anoint, he will empower, he will send. To speak a word to you. To place their hands on you. That God might touch you in a special way. So we don't want to just think, well, you know, I don't need church. I don't need other believers. All I need is God. That is deception. That is walking in deception. No, you need whoever God chooses to help you. Well, God can just do it directly. Well, tell that to Ananias and Jesus. And we see that throughout the word of God. That God uses other people. So we have to be open. We have to be open and sensitive to whom God will use to come and help us and minister to us. And be sensitive to God using you. Because you're a fellow believer just like Ananias. And God might speak to you and send you to go lay hands on somebody or speak a word to somebody. And you have to you know, be ready to, to yield to that and to go do that. And remember, people's lives are dependent upon our obedience. So important to obey God. Now, Ananias was reluctant here at first because he was afraid of Saul because Saul had been, you know, persecuting the church and having Christians put in prison and even having them killed. So he was afraid to go. But, you know, think about it. Here he is laying his hands on this man, Saul, who, you know, up to this point has been a really angry, a worthless individual, really. Little does Ananias know who he's laying his hands on. He's laying on someone that is going to become the great Paul the Apostle. You just never know. You don't know who's in our midst today. You just never know where God's taken folks. The plans that he has for them. But God's got big plans for you. God's got big plans for the people around you. And there's people out there walking in complete darkness. If you looked at them, you'd think, man, they're lost. And for all you know, you'll be going to their meetings someday. For all you know, you just don't know. You just don't know who God will use and raise up and use in a powerful, powerful way. Because you don't know what's on the inside of people. 
There's people in bondage right now, just like Saul was in bondage to religion and everything. But yet, look what's on the inside of him. Once he got it turned around, once he got saved and filled with the right spirit, oh man, he turned the world upside down. And so, so it is the same with a lot of people. There's a lot of people, they got a lot of great things on the inside of them. They're just in bondage. They need us to obey God and go out there and break those chains. Break those chains off them, glory be to God. Lay our hands on them. Hiccup! Sometimes that's how we lay hands on people. It's called, in karate, it's called a knife hand. I like laying on hands on people that way, you know. Oh, I see you have a spirit. So, just break the thing off. So notice, verse 17, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, immediately uh, there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. Now, so when hands were laid on him, he received the Holy Spirit. Now, in this particular uh, text, there's no mention of him speaking in tongues, but we know that the initial evidence that someone's been filled with the Holy Spirit is that they speak in tongues. So we know when he, had, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, we know Saul began to speak in tongues. In fact, Saul later on in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, and in verse 18, verse 18, he says, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. And he was saying that to the church at Corinth, which was a tongue-talking bunch, man. In fact, in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, you know, the apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, was trying to bring the church into balance because they were so over into speaking in tongues. They were out of balance, you know, with the gift. And, uh, but yet here he is, he says, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. So he spoke in tongues more than they all. But what's really interesting, that's in chapter 14. If you go to verse 15, and we'll start here around verse 5. It says, and that he was seen, Jesus, after he rose from the dead, he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter. Then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Some have, some have passed away. After that, he was seen by James. Then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So he says, you know, after Jesus rose from the dead, he was seen by all the apostles. He was seen by 500 brethren. He was seen by all the... Jesus revealed himself to all these people. And, and then, of course, we know, you know, the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved, were filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. And uh, yet Paul, he comes along here, and he has the audacity in verse 10 to say this. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. Notice, notice the language here. It sounds a lot like 1 Corinthians 14 where he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. I speak with tongues more than you all. 
chapter 14, verse chapter 15, I labored more abundantly than they all. I labored more abundantly than all the apostles and all these believers that came before me. I, I went beyond all of them. And then that goes along with him over in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, where he said in verse 7, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me or beat me, lest I be exalted above measure. The meaning of exalted above measure means to go beyond the usual mark. Exalted beyond measure. In other words, more abundantly than they all in revelation. So in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I speak in tongues more than you all. Chapter 15 says, I labored more abundantly than they all. And here he's saying, I got revelation more than they all. I'm going beyond all of them in revelation of God. And of course, that never pleases Satan. And so Satan raised up persecution to try to beat Paul back and try to keep him from being able to grow and excel in the revelations of God. But is there a connection to being having this grace on your life to labor abundantly in the kingdom of God and receive an abundance of revelation from God with speaking in tongues. Is there a connection? And there is a connection. There is a connection. But the more we speak in tongues, the more we are speaking out divine secrets, mysteries. And as we speak out those mysteries, we open ourselves up to receive revelation of the mysteries of God that are written in the Word of God. It opens us up to more revelation. Come on, we need to be exhorted every once in a while about speaking in tongues. Why? Because, you know, we do it, and we do it a lot, but, you know, you can do it and then just become complacent with it and just begin to realize what a powerful, awesome gift we have from the Lord. The gift of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, in the supernatural heavenly language. And when we're speaking, glory be to God, we are building ourselves up on our most holy faith. We are laying hold of more of the grace and power and ability of God to be able to go forth and do extraordinary things in the earth. And to know incredible things about God. Oh, hallelujah. So it's an amazing gift. Amazing gift. And it's, it's said that so much of the body of Christ, they believe in the Lord Jesus, but they go without the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. They go without speaking in tongues, and so they're very limited in their understanding of the Word. But I'm telling you, you speak in tongues, and then you get in the Bible. And you'll see the difference. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you'll just start getting stuff. Revelation will start being revealed to you like you've never experienced before. So be stirred up about praying in the Holy Spirit. So Paul or Saul, here he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, started speaking in tongues, and he thanked God in, 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 at, at, to the church of Corinth. He said that he speaks in tongues more than they all. Uh, Acts 9, verse 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. 
Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Now remember, Saul was a Pharisee. He had went to, to Bible school and, and had learned to be a, a religious leader of what they call a Pharisee. So he taught in the synagogues regularly. So this was his platform before people. And immediately after receiving revelation of Jesus, being saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, he immediately used his platform of influence to minister Jesus to the people. And you've got to look, what kind of platforms have God, has God given you? What kind of platform? Is it just to make money? Is it just to influence people in a way that they like you? Or just to influence them in, influence them in natural things? Or do you think maybe that platform should be being used to further the gospel? To set people free from darkness, from bondages, bring them into the truth? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then if you use your platforms correctly, God will expand you. God will increase you. Amen. So we should be wanting to use whatever we have, whatever God has given us, to further the kingdom of God and to help set captives free. Because that's what it's all about. I said that's what it's all about. Not just about us and building our own little kingdom here on earth. No, no, it's about, it's about the kingdom of God. And immediately, immediately, I love that, don't you? No hesitation. He just ran right out there and just started preaching to people. Just preaching. Expecting people to see what he sees. Expecting them to believe what he believes. And that's how we should be. I mean, listen, if you can believe what you believe and know what you know about Jesus, anybody can. Now, I don't mean to sound insulting, but, you know, I think we got the thing flipped around where it's like we think like we know this thing and like we're super special and that's why we know what we know. But I'm afraid to share it with them because they could never know what I know. They're going to think I'm crazy because, you know, there's so much of a lesser person than me. They're so stupid, you know. I'm so brilliant. That's why I got a hold of this. But they're so ignorant. You know, I don't want to share it with them because then they won't like me, you know, because they'll just think I'm crazy because they're crazy. And really, people see themselves better than other people. And that's why they don't think people can get what they got. But I'm going to say it again. If you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> If he could save you, if you can speak in tongues, anybody can. Get a hold of that. Anybody can. So just go ahead and share it. Hallelujah. I mean, I know that about me. If God can use me, my Lord Jesus, he could use anybody. He can use anybody. Praise God. And you have to realize that. It's all the grace of God. And when you preach the gospel, you're presenting grace to people by which they could be saved. It's the grace that does the work. It's the grace that has done the work and is doing the work in your life. It'll do the work in their life too. So just go ahead and believe the grace of God. Can you say amen? amen. Verse 21. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he, talking about Saul, who destroyed those who called on this name, Jesus, in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose? so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength 
and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Notice that. He grew, he grew, he increased more and more in spiritual strength. You and I need to be growing up spiritually. Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of God's word that you may grow thereby. We are to grow up spiritually. We start out as newborn babes being born again, but then we need to grow up. How do you grow up? You've got to feed on the word. You've got to nourish yourself in the word of God. And I'm not just talking about doing some little religious devotional where you're going to spend your little time and read, read your little devotional. No, no, man. You dig into the Bible. You dig in there and you want revelation. You start speaking in tongues, glory to God, and you get in there and you're expecting to find things. You're expecting to see great and wonderful things about God and what God does in the earth today and how God will use you today. Amen. You get, you get stirred up about these things and you get in there and you study the Word of God. You study the Word of God. Dig in there and just eat it all up. Mm. Mm, just eat it all up. Man, I got pages ripped in here and everything from... Just look at that. Look at that. I mean, take a bite out of the Word, right? I mean, that's just spiritual hunger right there. I don't know. I mean, you just get hungry. It's spiritual food. It's not just intellectual knowledge. It's spiritual food. And we're to hunger and thirst for these things and fill ourselves up with it so that we're growing and getting stronger. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and in verse 40, concerning Jesus. Jesus, our Savior, our King, God who came in the flesh. The Bible says, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. See, Jesus needed the grace of God just as much as anybody else. And he needed to grow strong. He needed to develop spiritually as well as physically. Now, we don't have to think too much about growing physically, you know. I mean, you just, it just kind of happens because, you know, we're eating all the time. Right? We're eating all the time and we're exercising all the time. Might not be at the gym, but, you know, people are exercising. They get up, they walk, they go to work, they're exercising. So they're exercising. I have to pick this up, move this over here. They're burning calories. They're eating and they're exercising. It's just part of life. And they just grow. It's just, it's just automatic. But spiritually, it's not so. Spiritually, not so. You have to purpose to do this. You have to purpose to do this. You know, we do it, we do it naturally taking care of our physical man, our outer man, we do that without, without thinking about it because that's just how we've been trained. Now we've got to program ourselves to be the same way spiritually. We're going to eat, man. We're going to eat. We're going to eat the Word of God. We're going to nourish ourselves in the truths of God's Word. And we're going to exercise ourselves to godliness. We're going to resist the devil. We're not going to sit here and just put up with his nonsense. We're going to use our faith. And we're going to fight the good fight of faith. That's how you grow strong. We don't take it away, take it away. We just whine and complain. Why is God letting this happen? And just like a big marshmallow. With no strength at all. We can just, just, stay, just stay a Christian marshmallow or a Christian, a Christian infant your whole life. You know? And some marshmallows get big and turn, in, turn into the, 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 what is it, the, the puff, the Pilsbury stuffer. 
The what? Yeah, that guy. That big, that big puff, that big white puffy guy, you know. It's a big marshmallow, you know. It's not good. It's not good. They're just puffed up, you know. It's just a lot of hot air. That's not, we want, we want to get stronger. Amen. We want to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Grow in the wisdom of God. So, I mean, if Jesus, if Jesus needed to do it, how much more you? And here we see Saul. He grew. He grew. He increased all the more in strength. Hallelujah. And the wisdom of God. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, in referring to John the Baptist, it says the same thing. It says, so the child grew... And became strong in spirit. How's your spirit today? Huh? We need to have a spiritual arm wrestle. You know? See where where you're at? Where are you at spiritually? What determines spiritual strength? Faith. Faith. You're only as good as your faith. You're only as strong as your faith is strong. So how, how strong is our faith? The Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now you don't want to faint in the day of adversity. You want to be able to stand up to the challenge. Right? And press through it and overcome it. Not just get through the thing, but overcome it and come out better on the other side of it. That's how we go through trials and tests. We come out better on the other side. The devil dare mess with us. Glory be to God. We just take it as an opportunity to get stronger. Get better. We're, we're fighters. That's who we are. So we want our spirit to be getting strong. We want our faith to be growing. Jude one twenty. What does it say? And you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. That's praying in tongues. Praying in the Spirit. Building yours. This is one way you build yourself up spiritually. Nourished in the Word of God. Exercising the godless. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Man, that'll cause you to get strong real quick. You're feeling kind of weak and lethargic. I just feel, honey, put another pot of coffee on. No, go in the room and pray in tongues. And I've had times where I didn't feel like, I didn't feel like even praying in tongues. You know, you just, so, it's, your mouth can get so heavy sometimes. Right? Try to get, try to get your jaw bumming. Hung, hung. But I'll go and I'll start speaking in tongues. I'll just start going speaking in tongues. And I'll just keep pressing and pressing. It's like, it's like priming a pump sometimes, you know. So just, prime, prime, you know just priming that water pump, you know. And then all of a sudden the gusher comes. Then you don't have to, don't have to mess with the handle anymore. Ooh, it just starts flowing. Jesus said in John 7, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And then he's talking about the Spirit. He's talking about the, the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues, flowing out of your life, you know. And it'll just flow out of you. But sometimes you've got to prime the pump to get it flowing. And it's worth doing. It's worth taking the time to pray in the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's worth taking the time and pressing into praying in the Holy Spirit until you hit the gusher. And the Holy Spirit will flow out of your life. Amen. Praise God. And that's, that's what you want. So it says, The child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. He was in the, just talking about John the Baptist, he was in the deserts. Well, you know, the same thing was true for Jesus. I mean, Jesus at 12 years of age, I mean, he, he received his calling. 
And he was ready, man. He was ready to, to preach at the t in the temple, and he was ready to fulfill his ministry. And, and there he was up in the temple at 12 years of age. And he's asking questions and, and, uh, and listening to the teachers of the law in there. And he was in there, and the parents, you know, they remember Joseph and Mary, they didn't know where, where Jesus was, and they were worried about him. You know, they'd, they'd gone a three-day journey back home, and they realized Jesus isn't with us. That's a pretty good kid when you don't have to check, on, check up on him for three days. Don't you think? I mean, that's, 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 a, that's a good kid to have right there. You travel three days, you don't even think about it. It's like, Mary, uh, we're going to bed. Where is Jesus? It's Jesus. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, what happens if he, he's, he got to get himself in trouble? Jesus, really? Got to get himself in trouble? He's a good kid. Let's just go to sleep. And then after three days, you know, something probably came up and they needed to know where he was. And they couldn't find him. And nobody could find him. They were just sh stunned and shocked. But there they found him eventually in the temple. <laughs> they were probably running into the temple, not even looking for him. They were looking all over Jerusalem for him. And then they finally just went to the temple, probably to pray and just cry out to God for mercy. <laughs> and there's Jesus. Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? But he was ready to go at 12. But then after that experience there with his parents, the Bible says he went down with them, was subject to them, and you never hear from him again for another 18 years. 18 years. You could say he was in his own little desert. For 18 years, he went and he was subject to his parents. You go through the Word of God and you see that. You see folks that, that God used and there was a, a period of time, sometimes many years, of preparation. Just them developing their relationship with God. I mean, you, you just see it. You go through, go through all of them from Noah to Abraham. I mean, I mean, God gives Abraham a promise. And it's not until he's, he's turning 100 years old before he sees the fulfillment of this promise that God gave him. Almost 100 years old. You think of Moses. Moses is 40 years old. I mean, he knew as a child what God had called him to do had an idea of what God had called him to, to deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt. I mean, he, he, he had that already burned his, at 40 years of age. He couldn't stand it anymore. He thought, well, maybe God's waiting on me to do something. And he goes out, tries to make something happen, ends up killing a man. And runs out into the desert for 40 more years. And at this point, for him, it's over. I mean, he's 80 years old. He's retired. He's, he's received his retirement. He's getting his pension from Egypt. And, you know, he's done. He's done. It's over. And then God appears to him into a burning bush and goes, Moses, I'm not done with you yet. Let's go to Egypt. Huh? Right? Sometimes we get, we get in such a rush to see things happen in our life for God to do things through our life that we don't let God just work on the inside of us. Listen, you've got to esteem what he's doing in you. And really, we need, to be, we need to be putting inside growth, spiritual growth, above natural outward increase. We all want to see increase of every good thing in our life naturally. But first and foremost is the increase of our spirit. And we should be growing so much on the inside that we're just happy and content as could be. Because that's, that's where we really look. We're growing on the inside. You're growing on the inside. You're getting stronger on the inside. 
you're getting better spiritually. Your faith is increasing more and more. So that when we do get out there to fulfill this ultimate calling that God has for us and the kingdom of darkness comes roaring in to try to stop us, we're ready. We're solid. We're not going to run. We're not going to retreat. We're going to stand strong in the call of God on our life. Amen. Don't, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Allow God to just work in your life. Never become impatient with the process. Let God continue to work. Just like Joseph in prison. Just like David in his... You know, before, before Joseph went to the palace, he was in the prison. Before King David was ruling as a king in his castle, he was going from cave to cave. You all remember that? See? And so just like Jesus, there's a time, just like John the Baptist, there's, there's desert time. There's desert time. And man, it can look dry. It can look waterless. I mean, some of you are just looking around and just seeing the sand dunes. You know, just the sand. The sand is just blowing by. You think, Lord, my life is so dry. Lord, my life is so... Well, it should never be dry on the inside of you. You're like a cactus out in the desert. You're full of living water. Right? Somebody comes up to you and takes a slice out of you and ooh, glory to God. Water comes out of you in the midst of a desert. You've got a fountain on the inside of you springing up and refreshing you and blessing you. So we shouldn't be drying up in the desert even though we might be in a very dry and thirsty land. The landscape around us might be very dry and uh, arid. But thank God, we've got water. We've got living water on the inside of us. And, and this is called solidification time. Where you're just becoming more and more solid. More and more solid on the inside. And so going on here in verse 29. And he, Paul, spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And so they sent him out of there. It was all these people plotting against Saul's life. You know, they all wanted to kill him and stop, and stop this preaching of Jesus. And so they sent him off to Tarsus. And he's actually in Tarsus for about 11 years. You don't hear from him again until chapter 11. And it's actually about 11 years later that... We hear from Saul again. So he's out there in Tarsus for 11 years. And it's interesting also, uh, during that time, the Galatians chapter 1 and in verse 17, Paul mentions how he went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he, he's telling of his itinerary and he's talking about after, right after he got saved and what happened next. He went down to Jerusalem. That's where the Hellenists plotted against him and and then they took him, got him out of there, sent him up to Tarsus. And here he mentions that he went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. How many you know Arabia is a desert? It's a desert. And it's interesting because also in Galatians, Paul mentions Arabia again as the place where Mount Sinai is. And how many you know Mount Sinai is the mountain where God met with Moses? And the children of Israel. And he came down on the mountain in fire. God came down on the mountain in fire. And it was there at that mountain where uh, Moses struck the rock. 
and it split and water came gushing out. Well, a lot of, a lot of people have, for, oh, for, the long, for the longest time really, people have said that Mount Sinai, they figured out that it was located in the Sinai Peninsula, which is actually in Egypt. But here, the Apostle Paul makes it clear it's in Arabia. It's not in Egypt. And if you go to where the site is, the mountain that they say is Mount Sinai, and they built, I think, a chapel up there, and said so this is, or at the bottom of it, they built a chapel and said, you know, this is the Mount Sinai. There isn't a shred of evidence that there was a whole nation of people that ever was in that location. But they have discovered the real Mount Sinai in Arabia. And if you uh, Google it, just type in the real Mount Sinai, you'll see all kinds of stuff come up. There's all kinds of evidence now, amazing things. You'll actually see the rock that was split by Moses. It's sitting there, it's this split rock, and then below it, there's erosion where water had run. And there's all kinds of evidence. There's altars. You can see the altar where they uh, obviously made an altar to the golden calf because there's all inscriptions and writings on it. So it's amazing. It's amazing. And the mountain, the top of the mountain is black. It's burned as with fire. And God came down it on fire. You can look that up. I mean, it's just amazing. Oh, and here's really, something really cool. Where they crossed the Red Sea. How many people heard some of this? You've seen some of these things. Where they crossed the Red Sea. You know, if you cross, the, if a sea opens up, to go across would be very difficult. Even if God dries it up, because it's not going to be flat. It, you, we're talking about an ocean here. A huge body of water. It's going to be like going down into the Grand Canyon. And having to climb up the other side. Right? Well, it just so happens. Right there where they would have crossed, there's this natural land bridge that goes all the way across under the water. And they have found chariot wheels, the shape of chariot wheels, or I should say it this way, coral in the shape of chariot wheels underneath in that area, under the water in that area. So it's just great stuff. You should, you should really check it out if you haven't checked it out. It's exciting. But that's where... Saul went. I bet you he went to Mount Sinai. I bet you he went and he spent some time there where God spoke with Moses and gave Moses so much revelation. You know, Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And I believe, you know, here Paul, he wrote three-fourths of the New Testament. And he probably got a lot of that stuff in the same place Moses got it. Right there at Mount Sinai. There's also a cave on the mountain that God had Moses go inside while his glory passed by. Elijah, later on, he fled from Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, to that very cave. And that's where he hid from her and was restored by God. God's glory appeared to him there. So he went to this place to get alone with God. And you and I need to have a place where we get alone with God. And we got to allow God to develop us. That doesn't mean we don't share the gospel with people waiting till we're perfect before we minister to others. No, no, no. Paul immediately began to share what he had with people. But then we've got to allow God to develop us and grow us up, build us up, and, uh, and show us things about himself and reveal more of his will and his plan, his purpose, and his heart to us. Because we want to know him more so we can represent him better. You know, people get out there, they're very zealous, they share the gospel, but they don't represent him very well because they don't, they just know him a little. Thank God they're given what they got. 
But man, we go deeper and deeper and deeper and we can just manifest the heart of God, reveal the truths of Jesus Christ to the world. Amen? Without error. So people get a nice, clear, accurate picture of him. A lot of folks are getting a very distorted picture of Jesus. Very distorted picture of Jesus. But we don't want to give a distorted picture of him. We want to give him a real, give the world a real accurate picture of him. Can you say amen? amen. Praise God. And then verse 11. After Saul took off of Tarsus, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So now they are, again, they're growing up. It's a time of peace. Now, a lot of these people, a lot of these Christians will later be martyred. They'll be killed for their faith. But a lot of them will go to their deaths praising God, just full of faith and not fear, not afraid to die. Hallelujah. Why is that? Well, God gives us time to build our faith, to grow our faith up so that we can handle whatever may come in the future. We don't know what the future holds, not even for this country. Lots going on in the world today. A lot of changes are taking place. We see a lot of evil, twisted, perverted things happen in the world. We want to make sure we take our time of freedom, take our time of peace to get strong. To get strong, to grow up spiritually. That's just a theme we keep coming back to. We want to grow up spiritually. We just want to get stronger and stronger and stronger so that whatever comes, we can face it fearlessly. Hallelujah. Verse 32. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Leda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately, so all who dwelt at Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, there's some folks say, see that? That's Peter, you know, he had these great powers. Give these great powers to heal. Well, Mark 16 says believers will lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Is that right? And notice it wasn't Peter that healed this man anyway. Peter said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. It's Jesus who heals you. I'm just proclaiming it. I'm just announcing it, letting you know so you can get in faith about it and respond to him. And Aeneas responded in faith and he stood to his feet. Hallelujah. Praise God. Doing the same works Jesus did. Same works Jesus did. Thank God Jesus doesn't have to be here in the flesh to get things done in the earth that he was doing 2,000 years ago when he was here in the flesh. No, he doesn't have to be here in the flesh. Why? Because he's got you. He's got you laying hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. He's got, well, he's got you speaking to people, preaching to them about salvation so they can be born again. He's got you doing it. He's got you laying hands on the sick and them recovering 
See, he's got the body of Christ. He has a body in the earth, and it's you and me. And so here, you know, Peter walks in there. Jesus Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. Make your bed. Now, this is a word for a lot of people. Many times, the first step to restoration and recovery in our lives is get up and make your bed. My life is such a mess. Lord, clean up my life. Let's start with your bed. I'm just so overwhelmed by it. Let's make your bed. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't say, you know, rise up and just leave your bed in the shambles. Did he? He said, he said, make your bed. Tuck your sheets in. Right? Puff up the pillows. Fix up your bed real nice. Make your bed nice. Praise God. You know, it feels good after you make your bed. You, know, you get up in the morning and you make your bed and you're like, oh, wow, I made my bed. What else can I do today? I mean... There's no, there's no giant I can't take on. I mean, if I could take on a king-size mattress, I can take on the king of... <laughs> Amen? Oh, man. It's the little things. Be faithful in the little things, and you'll be ruler over big things, many things. But if you're too busy for the little things, you never get to the big things. It's an important lesson. Clean up after yourself because it kind of gets a chain reaction going. You make your bed and then you do this. Oh, after you make your bed, you find it. Your sock is on the floor. You didn't see your sock because it was underneath other things. But you just start picking up after yourself. Next thing you know, you've got a clean room. Your life is getting cleaned up. Imagine this. And you just start cleaning up your life. And God's able to work through that and you'll be more efficient in your thinking and everything. So anyway, make your bed. Powerful message. Verse, and then he goes on, make your bed. Then he rose immediately. So all who dwelt at Leda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. When they saw this, when they saw this healing, when they actually saw that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is who he says he is, that it's not just a teaching, a doctrine, or a religion, but that he manifests himself and actually works in humans' lives to deliver them and heal them and better them. When they saw this, they turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord. Friend, there's hope for America. There's hope for America. They just got to see that Jesus is alive, that he really rose from the dead, and he still does what he has always done. And as they see it, they turn to him. They turn to him. People will turn to him. Praise God. The nation will start turning back to him. America will start turning back to him. And freedom can continue for many, many, many more years. Hallelujah. So they turned to the Lord. Verse 36, at Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Notice this. She was full of good works and charitable deeds, yet she got sick and died. 
I, I, I thought people get sick and die if they're bad. If people do bad things, right? We see somebody sick, we say, I wonder what they did. The judgment of God is on them, no doubt. No, no. This woman is full of good works, charitable deeds. And that's the Bible talking. That's God talking. This is a good woman. She still got sick. Somebody being sick, somebody being afflicted, someone going through a tough place is not a reflection of their walk with God. It's not, a, it's not a reflection of them at all, of their character or anything. This woman is powerful in character. Never judge people based on these things. That's ridiculous. No, she's a good woman. She's a good, good woman. But yet she's still, why did God let that happen? It's not all up to God. I said it's not all up to God. He's given us authority in the earth. He's given us authority in the name of Jesus to lay hands on sick people, to drive demons of infirmity out. It's not all up to God. Why did God let it happen? No, why did we let things happen? There's a lot of things we just let happen. But this isn't the end of her. Thank God. Verse 38. And since Leda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Now notice, they're imploring him to come to them to see a dead woman. Why would you implore him, beg him, urge him, come quickly? Unless you had faith that he could do something about it. They had faith that he could do something about it. And because of the way Dorcas lived her life, because of the way she lived her life, they didn't want to lose her. We want to live our life in such a way that if something were to happen to us, people come running to, 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 to rescue us. People want to see us delivered, healed, set free. We don't just kind of disappear into the darkness and we're not missed and we're unnoticed. No, you sh your presence should be missed if you're not there. People should want you around them. We're talking about the kind of life we live. We should live life in such a way, and we're such a blessing, people do not want to lose us. People don't want to lose you. Come on, we're not going through this life existing. We're not just existing, taking up space, and just it's all about me and what I can get. No, no, no. It's all about charitable deeds, good works, being a blessing, helping people, supporting people, taking our resources, everything we've got. We want to increase so we can increase others. And as we do that, Others are going to have a tough time not praying for you. They're going to have a tough time not getting together and saying, we need to get in faith right now and believe God about so-and-so. We're not letting them go. Because we need them. If we need them, God needs them. They're a huge asset to the kingdom of God. Everybody here can develop that kind of reputation. Everyone here. Just recognize the kind of purpose you have in God. And pursue it. Pursue it. Fulfill your God-ordained purpose as a member of the body of Christ, as a believer full of the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? amen? Verse 39, Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made. 
while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. Hallelujah. Peter walks in there. These guys are urging, you got to come. You got to come. You got to come. They, they had faith that Peter had faith that would help them to overcome this situation. What happens if they said, oh, leave Peter alone? I mean, he's up there with Aeneas. And he's a busy guy. We're, we don't want to bother Peter. We don't want to bother. You know, nobody does that with the emergency room. Oh, I can't go to the emergency room. I mean, you know, I mean, they're busy in there. They're busy in there. I don't want to bother the physician. He's probably got a lot of patients. No, they walk in and go, excuse me. Ding, 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 ding. I got issues. And I'm here and you're going to help me because I believe you can. And because I believe you can help me get out of this situation, I am here. But spiritually, many times, people don't believe like that. They don't believe the church can help them. They don't believe the pastor can help them. They don't recognize the faith that's present. And so they just say, well, I didn't want to call you. The worst is when you find out, like, three days later, they've been in the hospital. You know, on Facebook. You find out they're in the hospital. You think, dear Lord, you know. You walk in there, and there's not much you could do for them because they've just shown you they have absolutely no faith that you could do a thing for them. Not that being in the hospital is wrong. It's just they didn't call on you at all. They didn't believe you can do a thing for them. Isn't that sad? Then I've had people, and I'm just talking about my personal experiences, but I've had people call me in the middle of the night. I mean in severe pain. I mean serious, serious trouble. Crying out. And sometimes right there on the phone, we get it fixed. Other times I say, I'll be right there. I get in my car, and the moment I walk in their door, in the name of Jesus, Jesus' name, it's over. The pain's gone. And we've seen this time and time and time again. People, they turn to you in faith. They believe in the faith that you have, and they receive their miracle. They receive their healing. Amen. We, 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 you know, the way we respond to things shows whether we believe or not. Shows what we believe. And so Peter, he heard about this, saw all these good works, and uh, her good works, I believe, stirred him up. Stirred him up to get in faith and to pray for her. It's not like Peter's just walking around going by cemeteries and pulling people out of the graves. You know, he's not just raising everybody from the dead. But Dorcas had made her life a special case to the people around her, and to Peter. And Peter had a case to present before the Lord when he prayed. The Bible says he knelt down by her corpse and he prayed. He prayed for her. I wonder what he prayed. Lord, look at what this woman is doing here at this church. We need this woman. He's, he's encouraging himself in the Lord, praying. Encouraging himself to see the need to raise this woman from the dead. It's called pleading your case. 
pleading your case. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 21, it says, present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reason, says the king of Jacob. Present your case that you may be acquitted, that you may be able to receive what you're asking for. You got, you got to have a case. Peter had a case. Man, there's a, there's a good reason for this woman to be here, to stay here, and to help us. Your works don't save you. But your works affect your conscience and the conscience of others to help their faith to be able to receive from God the resurrection power that He's already given you. Good works don't earn anything from God. But good works are the answer to a good conscience and will help us to fight the good fight of faith. The Bible says it's by uh, faith and a good conscience. Let me read this to you. First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. It says, This charge I commit to you, <clears throat> son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them <clears throat> you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. Faith comes from God's word, a good conscience comes from your works. And you can build a good conscience in yourself and in others concerning you by your works, which helps you to receive, from, not, give God, not get God to give to you, but help you and others receive from God for you. Do you follow that? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 18 says, Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things, desiring to live honorably. We are confident. Why? Because we've got a good conscience. We are, we're living right. We're doing things the right way. And a good conscience gives us confidence in prayer. We don't want to do things in life that undermine our faith, that undermine who we are. We don't want to undermine who we are by living a life of doubt and unbelief. And selfishness. We live a life of faith. We do the right things. Praise God. It builds our confidence up and makes it real easy to receive from God and helps others to receive from God for us also. And that is so important. Can you say amen? Praise God. So it says that he raised her up, presented her alive. Hallelujah. And everybody was excited. And again, how does it end? Verse 42. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. So many believe, once again, many believe because of this great miracle that happened. How many people want to see great miracles happening more and more and more in our day? Hallelujah. Come on. We got a God of miracles and we are a miraculous people because we believe in him. And God is looking to his church his people, to see this nation turned around. God wants liberty. In other words, God wants free reign in America. He don't want the devil to have place in America. He wants freedom to reign throughout America. <clears throat> How's it going to happen? The church is rising up in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Releasing the works of God through their hands, through their lives. Healings, miracles are taking place. The world is taking note of it. And they're all turning to Jesus. 
Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Come on, let's stand our feet. Let's thank the Lord this morning. That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888-542-2555. We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.